Church, it's good to be with you. Good morning. Uh, it is so good to worship Christ with you together. It's, it's, um, it's regularly encouraging, and even this text this morning uh, has great reminders for us of why that's the case. Um, now, I don't know about you, but yesterday I think it was like Memorial Day, right? It's the end of summer. This is really weird. I don't, am I the only one? I mean, it's, it's flown by. It's crazy. I was just thinking about it several times this week. Um, I'm not in school, and, and my wife and I are not in school. We're not in school rhythms, but hearing of everybody that's like entering back into school rhythms, teachers, students, that kind of thing, I mean, I know that that's hectic. That's chaos, right? But even just getting to this point in our summer as a church, uh, our preaching pastors had a 12-week sabbatical. Um, and I just, I, I'm sure it feels even faster in some ways, but I know it has flown by, truly. I remember when we were back in John, in uh, John 7, and I was uh, preaching in June, uh, that this date feel, felt like several weeks away, and now it's here, uh, and we are back in the Gospel of John, and I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm so glad to be back in this book. Uh, we have been walking through this book as a church since the beginning of the year. We've been uh, focusing on its truth as we walk, um, it, uh, taking it expositionally, week at a time, passage at a time, walking through the truth of the Gospel of John. And, and thankfully, John told us why he wrote this Gospel. It's very clear in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he tells us. We even kind of gave a little tagline, and we, uh, we benedict, we close our service with a reminder of that, that this Gospel account was written so that you might believe in the name of Jesus and have life in His name. That's that's what we see throughout the, the Gospel of John. Um, but I don't know about you, kids, maybe you're heading into school this week, you already started some classes, and you'll need a few reminders, a few reminders of the rules, of certain things you've learned last year that you've slept since then, that have, um, you, you know, you, you've forgotten those things. That's okay. You need some reminders. Uh, this is a, a much less important example, but it came to mind as I was thinking about this idea that um, Bethany and I, we, no surprise, we love stories, we love shows, we love good stories of any kind. Uh, and we were, we were uh, going to start a show recently that had a new season that came out. And I don't know if you're like us, but, you know, you, you get ready to play that first episode, and then you go, okay, wait a minute. I know the main guy's name is, like, Tom. What happened last season? Did they, oh, they got to that building, and then, and then okay, but who... Oh no! What ha- you know? And and so you're confused. You gotta okay. Where are we at? What's going on in the story? And I do y'all know about recap videos? Oh yes, I'm seeing some nodding heads. I love recap videos. They're so helpful because whether it's like actually produced by the same people who make the show or just somebody on YouTube who has a you know a little digital studio and a microphone or whatever, and they remind you what happened. I love those things because I need reminders. So I think. Uh, if I needed a reminder this week, I'm going to guess that maybe a few of you do as well. So let's, let's have a little recap video of John so far so that we can see when we just land in chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them. Hold on a second. What's again what? And we know Jesus, but where is he at? What is he saying? Let's remind ourselves, right? I love this. We've had several guest preachers this summer. Last, last week, I was encouraged by Doug uh, inviting us to turn in our Bibles. I'm thankful for grace, and I'm thankful for our screen, but it's just good to hear some Bible pages turn. So let's turn. Let me hear a few pages, or if you're using your phone, tap a little loudly for me, and go back to John chapter 1. The, the beginning of this gospel is, is 
very dramatic. <laughs> it's very, very clear at the very beginning of this gospel that the person that Jesus, uh, sorry, the person that the Apostle John is going to focus on through this gospel is God. He is the Christ. He is the hope of the world. He is the only Savior. And the opening of John tells us that. Uh, relevant to our text this morning, look with me at verse 9, what John tells us about Jesus in John chapter 1, verse 9. He says, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And we've seen this unfold throughout John's gospel. What, what John writes right here, that Jesus is the true light. What we read in chapter 8, verse 12, what we're going to land on and unpack this morning, we've seen that proven true in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But we've also seen what we see written in verse 10, he's in the world, the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. In fact, verse 11, he came to his own. He came to his own dominion as a king. He shone in the place where the light should have been worshipped and celebrated, and yet the people don't receive him. But there are some who do. And, and it's through those comparisons of relationships, I think, and what Jesus does to reveal himself as the light that helps us have a growing understanding of who Jesus Christ is. That's what John wants us to understand, so that by the end of the book, he'll say, hey, I haven't written any, everything, but I've written these things so that you would believe and have life in his name. So what has he written? Well, he gave us an example of one who, who did see Christ as the light, not himself, John the Baptist. He was a, a faithful witness, right? He, he attested that Jesus is the Christ, and he was a faithful prophet to reveal him as such. Uh, Jesus then begins his ministry. He calls disciples, uh, John being among them. John, not the Baptist, but the apostle who wrote this gospel account, right? Uh, and so those men begin following him. And, and then we see uh, what Brian reminded us on uh, uh, New Year's Day, believe it or not, a, a long time ago. Um, we talked about what the structure of this book uh, takes. We, we see signs and miracles of Jesus, and then declarations and teachings of Jesus that affirm those signs, right? So we, we saw Jesus change water to wine in Cana, um, and then he has a conversation in John 3 with Nicodemus about him coming to save the world, uh, that people who believe in him would be transformed, born of God, even as we read in John 1. He has another conversation with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, revealing that this light has shown not just to the Jews, but truly to the world, as we'll see in our text. Uh, he heals a man on the Sabbath, and then we see uh, chapters that uh, involve conversations with the Pharisees over the law and over traditions and over misunderstandings about who the Christ is. That begins to unfold, and, and that'll pay, play a part in our uh, chapter this morning. Um, he, he gives that great I am the bread of life statement right after feeding the 5,000, this miraculous feast, right? Uh, again, signs and declarations that prove that Jesus is the Christ, the hope of the world. 
And most recently, we were in John chapter 7. Jesus had gone to Jerusalem uh, to celebrate the Feast of Booths, to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, where the Jews remember how God was with them in the wilderness, how God led them and kept His promises and was faithful uh, to, to do so in that time period. And so they're celebrating that, and yet Jesus, uh, he, he, does, uh, he does not do what His brothers want Him to do, go to the festival and reveal Himself in a big way, but He, he goes privately and then begins teaching in the temple and has various conversations. We, um, we, we talked about those a, a few months ago. Uh, he, he proves that really He is the Christ. He is sent from God, and He is going back to God through the way of the cross. He will uh, die for them at the hour the Father commands so that they would have life. So, now we can click play on episode one, so to speak, season two of our text this morning, chapter eight, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. I just want to stop there. I want you to write down the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. We, unfortunately, as, as you heard Megan read, the people hearing this don't even really respond to it. They respond, but they respond to the fact that Jesus is trying to make a truth claim, that He's saying anything at all. They don't respond to what He is saying directly. Let's not do that this morning. I don't think that's a good idea. When the God of the universe who takes on flesh and shows up in a particular place and time and says something, we should listen. Let's, let's figure out what's happening here. Again, our, our context is very, very brief. John doesn't give us much, but again, we're kind of in the middle of this episode of uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, in, this, in the middle of this, um, this context where Jesus was already uh, worshiping with the Jews and speaking. Look back at chapter 7 verse 37. When John says again, he's giving us a, a, a literary context, a, a little signpost that's pointing back to the last time that Jesus spoke. And in John chapter 7, verse 37, it says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So again, he, he's already revealed himself as the source of life by way of this picture of water. At the Feast of Tabernacles, we talked about the last day, the great day, had this water-pouring ceremony uh, that the audience at the time that John was writing to would have known about, that, that Jesus reveals Himself in that particular way to draw a connection to the fact you, you think you're worshiping God for what He has provided the Israelites in the wilderness when He gave them water from the rock? Well, here's the living water right now in, in and of myself. I am that living water for you through faith. And so when John says again, it means both that we're in the same sort of context that last day, the great day, and that Jesus is going to say something kind of similar that, that, that has a, a related sort of content to what Jesus said before. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, He's not just saying that I am a sort of bright individual or I am somebody who happens to be noteworthy in a particular time. No, there's many uh, ways we can take the light metaphor and get way away from what Jesus or John means, but we need to dig into the text. Jesus has said earlier in the day, I'm the source of living water. Anyone who thirsts, come to me and drink. And now he says, I am the light of the world. Why is that significant? Well, helpfully, again, we've, we've got some cultural context uh, that gives us a little bit of clarity on this. Um, the uh, many commentators and scholars and 
folks way smarter than me have looked back at uh, old rabbinical traditions and writings of this time, and just as the day began with that great water-pouring ceremony, now the day's ending with, guess what? Lamps are being lit. As, as tall as this gym, gymnasium ceiling are these big, big, giant lamps, torches, candelabras, whatever you want to call them, in the treasury, in the court uh, of the temple where the Jews men, women, and children have access to come and worship. And so they're celebrating the end of this feast with, with a, I mean, literally a feast with a lot of food, with singing, with dancing. And you can imagine the scene that, that Jerusalem, uh, which surrounds the temple mount, the temple's on a, a hill, a mountain itself, that now those lamps are lit. It's nighttime. That light is shining all over Jerusalem. That light that's centralized in the place of worship where God is to be honored and served and obeyed and worshiped. And so, yes, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he's not just saying it randomly on a path walking to Jerusalem or in Galilee or in some other place. He's saying it in the temple at this time for a reason, I believe. That's why John is saying this, just that even word, again, again, same great day. For this great reason, Jesus is revealing himself as the light of the world. So what? <laughs> right? I've given you literary context. We've talked about the cultural setting, but we don't, we're not in Jerusalem. Uh, we don't practice Jewish law or customs in that way. So what, what does that mean for us? But to understand the significance of this, again, there's so much we could say. Let me just remind you of a few things that I think are, are especially and, and most pertinent to this moment in this text. Jesus says he is the light of the world. In a festival, in, in a season where the Jews are remembering how God was faithful to be with them and to lead them through the wilderness. This God who in Genesis 1 had said, let there be light, the, the first creative impulse, the, the first words that we see on the page from the, the triune God himself reveals himself in light, by the way, not in sun or moon or stars yet, that's in a later day, but just in light, in glory, in revelation. That same God, when the Israelites are in the wilderness traveling to the promised land, God guided them with a pillar of light when it was dark, right? When, when there was darkness outside, there would be a pillar of light that they could see and follow, that they would know two things. God is with them. God knows where they're going, and God's going to take them there, right? So, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, we should expect that Jesus is saying both something about who He is and His presence and what He provides for His people. Just like God was the light for the Jews in that time, Jesus is not just the light for the Jews in one time or season, but of the world, right? So, so we, again, want to stop and ponder this. We want to think on this well. Jesus, like and as God is the essence of what is good, of what is holy, what's right. J Jesus is not the best among us, though that's true in, in, a, in a mankind sense. Jesus is not 
just sort of the, the smartest individual or, or the best at one particular thing or another. There is no other God but Jesus Christ. In this way, Jesus is not just saying, I'm, I'm a flashlight or, or one of those big torches. He's saying, I'm the photon itself. I'm the flame itself. Earlier in, in John, he said that John the Baptist was a, a brightly burning lamp. Jesus does not say that about himself. He says, I am the light. That's good news, Christian, because when you come to faith in Christ, the best thing that God gives you is himself. We'll see that unpacked more even in the way that Jesus speaks of it in this text. Not only is he the light, he's the light of the world. It's not by accident. Now, it's a bit obscured here because we have the story of the woman caught in adultery. If you want to hear more on that text, there is a sermon on that at the end of June I preached. Um, The earliest manuscripts don't include that, so we would believe, we would see that that John's flow here uh, would go back not to that story at the beginning of chapter 8, but at the end of chapter 7. And look even at just the last verse. The Pharisees are are mocking Nicodemus, and they're saying to him, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. They're making fun of Nicodemus for from trying to give Jesus a fair chance at a fair hearing from them. And they're using their prejudice of saying, well, nothing good from, comes from Galilee. Certainly not a prophet. Certainly not the Messiah, right? It's not by accident that John then jumps us to this scene where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Not just of the Temple Mount. Not just of Jerusalem. Not just of Galilee the world. Christian, let me encourage you. As I was challenged in my own heart this week, don't you dare limit where the light of Christ is meant to shine. We are not called to one particular people group, one particular nation, one particular uh, political ideology, one particular cultural set of norms. We are called to a gospel that is the salvation for the world. That's why we pray for the nations. Even when we don't know the last names or literally the name of the city or country where a, a, a missionary couple serving, we pray because we believe that Jesus is the light of the world. Friend, if you are discouraged that there is somebody in your life or a group of coworkers, a family, neighbors in your apartment complex or on your street, you feel like, look, I've prayed, I've invited, I've talked, I've done the whole thing, the light's not going to shine there. Friend, Jesus is the light of the world. And he says later on, as long as you have the light, walk in the light. One of the ways we walk in the light, we persist in that, is we continue to be faithful. We don't grow weary in doing good. We continue to persevere because Jesus promises that his light outshines the darkness. He is the light of the world. His application for us beyond that this morning, um, again, a lot of other things we could say about light, but he says after that, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, what, the light of life. What does that mean? Well, I, I think we're greatly helped by the fact that John is not just the writer of this gospel. He also wrote three letters to us in the New Testament, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, right? Same author. Uh, and 
Uh, in fact, Daniel's class this morning uh, involved this, this uh, passage from 1 John chapter 1. I'll start in verse 5. Um, it's helpful that we have a writer who refers back to some of these truth statements that Jesus makes. He expounds on this for us, I think. And I think he has this in mind even. And in, uh, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So, what does he have for us in application? Well, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Christian, we are called to walk in the light of life, I think, in one sense, primarily for the purpose of obedience and holiness and reflecting that same light which has saved us to the world around us. That is why John takes that truth, takes what Jesus has declared, and commands, exhorts, encourages the church Don't pretend to have fellowship with Christ and ignore your sanctification. Walk in the light. Don't pretend to be growing in your sanctification, but living a life that is completely uh, absent of, of, of confession and of Christian fellowship with one another and with God. That's what it means for us to walk in the light of life. And those who don't follow Christ are in the darkness. And as we know in this world, there is much danger, much pain, much confusion in the darkness. Unfortunately, we're about to see that in our, in our text. But if you're here this morning and you feel like some of these truths about Jesus are like the light just turned on, I have good news for you. The same gospel that we who have believed in Christ are walking in is the same gospel that saves you. That's why Jesus can say, I am the light of the world, and I can encourage the believers here this morning to be walking in the light of life, and I can encourage you in the same way, that you would proceed in faith. Have you seen who Jesus is? Turn and follow Him. That's what I am the light of the world should do for you this morning to reveal that there is no other way of salvation, no other light in this dark world but Christ. Follow Him. He will be faithful to reveal Himself to you in His great mercy and love and to guide you. And we'll see how He does that. We already spent a good amount of time in just verse 12, and there's 18 to go. But here's the deal, y'all. Jesus just says this, and, and I think the saddest thing in the world is that not only do the Pharisees are, are going to question him, we're going to figure out what in the world is going on there, but the biggest problem in this scenario is not just that Jesus is questioned, it's that no one we know around him falls on their face to worship him. This is a praise celebration. This is a feast of celebrating God being with the people to give them everything they need in a dark world. 
and the light of the world is standing in their midst, and no one worships Him. That's the greatest problem, and, and, and I, it would not be helpful, I think, for me to not move beyond that without saying, Christian, in your workplace, in your home, wherever you see the darkness, let's remind ourselves of what Colton preached several weeks ago, that great quote, uh, Piper quote, that we want to have a missional attitude, a missional perspective, that our hearts would break for what breaks God's heart, that we would desire worship for Christ, that that would motivate us to live on mission. The Pharisees are going to argue with Jesus about the truth of their own law. Let us not get caught into arguing with other people with our own understanding of truth. Let us submit to the one who is the light. Let's trust in Christ. Let's respond in worship to Christ and not put our own understanding or our own abilities or our own uh, motivations or, or, or whatever else it is in the way before we'll then worship Jesus. Let's see who he is in worship. But that's not what the Pharisees do. Verse 13. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. We don't care about what, but you're doing it. You're bearing witness about yourself, and so your testimony is not true. That's their claim. Well, Jesus is going to show us, if you're writing notes this morning, you've already said Jesus is the light of the world. Well, we're going to see, yeah, Jesus' testimony is true. And not only that, but for him to declare, to testify that he is the light of the world is not just a testimony. It's a pronouncement of judgment. Why is that? How is that? We'll get to that. But first, again, they're claiming, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus said, well, even if I do, my testimony is true. (laughs) Here's his reasoning. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. Uh, We talked about this at great length in chapter 7. These two chapters are uh, have a lot to say about Jesus knowing that he is from God and going to God, and the people don't understand this. The Pharisees certainly don't understand this. In fact, the Pharisees, we know by their response, they're not interested in learning what Jesus is saying. They're interested in discrediting him through their own means. They're interested not in trying to hear him out like Nicodemus encouraged them to do at the end of chapter 7, but in trying to catch him in a lie, catch him in some sort of falsity in their own understanding of the law so that they can arrest him and kill him. That's what they're up to here. So Jesus responds, and he, he could have done a number of different things, but he, he does two things. He, he, he responds and calls out the logical fallacy of it, the, 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 the fact that this doesn't make any sense, Pharisees, but then he's also going to tell them in a different way what he just told them when he said, I am the light of the world. But first, the logical fallacy, the, the, the thing that doesn't add up. Well, he says, first of all, I know who I am. <laughs> now, God's law says that in issues of sin, when there's a crime committed, certainly in capital punishment, like we talked about uh, several weeks ago, that two witnesses are necessary, right? There must be multiple witnesses. God did not mean that every time you say something that's true, you need somebody else to show up with you and affirm that that's the case. If I'm talking with somebody and they say, yeah, I've, I'm the uh, athletics director at whatever school, I don't go, <laughs> okay, let me, uh, what's the name of the school? All right, let me see. No, that's silly. It's, it's, it's goofy, and yet that's, that's exactly what they're doing here. They're, they're trying to find any way possible to catch Jesus. L- look, look over in, in verse 17. Here's how I know that Jesus is calling them out for this. He says something that's shocking. He says, in your law, not my law, not the law. 
He says, in your law. That, that should be a clue for us. Whether they're just operating on a misunderstanding of the law, which is definitely the case, or we, we see in, in reading the, the Talmud, the uh, traditional writings of the, of the Pharisees and the scribes and the leaders of this time, that they've done what's called legalism. They've taken what might be said in one context in God's Word, and they've added to it. They've said, okay, God says here that you need multiple witnesses in this situation. Well, anytime anybody talks in the temple, they need multiple witnesses. Anytime anybody claims to do this kind of thing, they're going to need multiple witnesses, right? They're adding to God's law, and Jesus says, no, I'm having none of it. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people are true. Verse 18, you want two witnesses? Here you go. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And goodness, we don't even have time to unpack the, the Trinitarian meaning in a statement like that. That's incredible, right? <laughs> Jesus is claiming that the Father and He both bear witness about the fact that He is God and He was sent as the Savior of the world, the light of the world. Incredible statement. But I love this, verse 19, they just say, well, where's your dad? <laughs> where's your father? And Jesus, Jesus answers them the only way he knows how. You, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. Revealing again that the problem here is, is not just misunderstanding. It's not a legal issue. It's a knowing God issue. The Pharisees and those around, they don't know God. And when you don't know God, you can literally have the Savior of the world standing next to you saying, I'm the light of the world, and you won't get it. We need the God who said, let there be light to reveal himself to human hearts. That's, that's why, Christian, we are called to persist in prayer and perseverance with those uh, who are lost around us. We need the Lord to move and to shine. Jesus is identifying that they don't know God. That's the issue. It's so interesting, John gives us, you know, he does this a lot. He, he throws the context sometimes at the end of a paragraph or at the end of a section. He does this in verse 20. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Again, the great irony here that they're in this place where they're supposed, this is the place where God's presence once dwelt. That great light, that glory, it was once there. And Jesus is now the second person of the Trinity, the, the, the Savior of the world is standing there declaring that he is just who he says he is, and, and they just don't see it. And no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We see his testimony is true. He, he's showing that because he knows he's from God. He's going back to God. Uh, he uh, and the Father who sent him have given him the authority to reveal who he is to the world. He also, before we move on, look in verse 15. Is, not only is his testimony true, but he says his judgment's true. You judge according to the flesh. Similarly, he talked about this in chapter 7. You, you have a wrong perspective. You judge by appearances. That's a fleshly way of looking at things. That's, that's what mankind does. We judge each other based on all these false surface-level things, but that's not how God judges. He judges the heart. He judges the spirit. He looks through. And yet Jesus, he's, he's reminding us that Jesus was not sent to condemn the world, but to save the world, as he told Nicodemus in John chapter 3. But then he says something that's kind of paradoxical. He says in verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. Well, what's, what's Jesus' judgment? I thought he, 
He said he came to save, not to condemn. And he just said, I judge no one, but now he says my judgment's true. Well, I think we're going to have to dig into the next, uh, the, the ending paragraph of this to understand this. How is the, the judgment of Christ true? And what is his judgment? I think Christ knew that there's a disconnect here. So he begins to teach and speak again in verse 21. He said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. There, there is no darker reality than that. That is the reason for darkness in our world. It's because we, who were given a, a, a world as a home that began with light, rebelled against God and against His good law, not our own laws, His law, we disobeyed Him and the darkness of sin and of death and pain and sorrow exploded into reality. And because of that, there is only one hope for salvation. So once Jesus, who is that hope, goes away, there is none other. And that's why he can say with certainty, you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Jews have a, a tragic misunderstanding of this. They, they say, will he kill himself since he says where I'm going, you cannot come? And, and the, the whole question is just filled with tragic irony. Because Jesus will willingly die, but he will not take his own life. They will. He will willingly walk into the situation where he'll be betrayed and suffer, mistreated, mistried in the legal sense, and he will die on a cross. But friend, the, the good news and the amazing paradoxical truth of the gospel is that, yes, the, the testimony and the judgment of Jesus are true, but He reveals that to the world. He turns the light on to those truths through the cross. The darkest day in human history is where we most clearly see what Jesus says in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. That's where Jesus is aimed. That's where Jesus is headed. As we continue on in the Gospel of John, Jesus is going to be more and more and more clear about that hour that is coming, that day that is coming. So he's going to begin to teach them about this, even as he does in our text. Verse 23, he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. And I told you that you would die in your sins for or because unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So verse 25, they still don't get it, but they at least get that they need to know the I am He. They need to know the I, I am. Because when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, they didn't get it there, so I didn't mention it there. But realize, when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, He didn't just say, I'm the light of the world. He was saying, I, I am. He's saying one of those I am statements, right? He's claiming Godhood. He's claiming to be who He says He is, that He is the one true living God. And He does it here in a subtle way. 
24, against, unless you believe that I, I am, I am he. It's the same wording, same phrasing. So they're asking. They're saying, well, who are you? <laughs> and Jesus said to them, well, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I've, I've been revealing myself as the Christ all along here. So he says in, in verse 26, I, I have much to say about you, much to judge, much to testify, much to judge, yeah. Uh, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I've heard from him. There are so many things of the Christian faith um, that we can feel in a moment, like we have to stop and we've got to explain everything. Much to say. Um, we know the judgment that is true, that is in Christ. We're going to unpack that further, but let me just even note to you, believer, to encourage you. When you feel like there's much to say, <laughs> you feel like the judgment of God that is His alone, that is real and heavy, that feels like a heavy thing to realize. Remember what has been declared to you, and remember the truth of the one who has said it. Jesus is the light of the world. He's sufficient for these things. He's sufficient to give us, as the writers of the New Testament remind us and encourage us, the words, the moments, the opportunities to turn on the light, as it were, to say things, to embody Christ-likeness, and to do the things that Christ has called us to do so that, Lord willing, we'll see a response of faith. We'll see a response of obedience. We'll see somebody see the light of the world and be able to worship Christ for that. But be encouraged. If Jesus had moments where he says, I have a lot to say and a lot to judge, but I know he who sent me is true, and I'm declaring to the world what I've heard from him, Christian, we can certainly say very much the same. You can trust in the word of Christ and the gospel when we have nothing else. And we can be encouraged. Verse 27, I still don't understand. I didn't understand that, been speaking, that he had been speaking to them about the Father, which, I mean, is kind of like saying I ordered at a restaurant and they didn't understand that I was talking about food. Like, it's not just a small little footnote. It's, it's like that's the whole thing. <laughs> he, they didn't understand. They don't know God. So much darkness in this. And, and it's so fascinating to me that at this moment, Jesus, who is the light of the world, Jesus, who is at this festival where the lights are on, there's music and praising and all this stuff that's going on, don't you think he could have, like, done something really impressive to finally show, that, like, okay, you don't understand, well, uh, the lights are going to get brighter, or, like, I don't know, like, do something to, to make their hearts change, to, to, to show them who God really is, that he really is the only hope of salvation for a dark world. But Jesus doesn't do that. He points them to a moment where he's going to do something even better. Look at what he says. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I, I am, that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority. I'm speaking just as the Father taught me. Friends, the cross of Christ is what proves the testimony and judgment of Jesus. And the reason that's the case is not because just Jesus dies in an impressive way. 
Though there are miraculous things that happen that day, there's a darkness that covers the land. Matthew talks about the dead are rising up. I mean, even the Roman centurion next to the cross is able to see that this is the Son of God. Miraculous things happen that day. But the most miraculous thing that happens at the cross that proves the judgment of Christ is that that statement, you will die in your sin, is turned on the second person of the Trinity. And he says, I will die in your sin. He says, I I know (laughs) that you don't know. I know that you don't love God. You don't know who He is. You don't see the light. And the only way for you to understand and to have life is for me to die. We can rejoice over that dark day because of the good gift of our salvation that was accomplished on that cross. Because the testimony of Jesus, when He says, I am the light of the world, He's saying, I am the only escape from sin. I am the only one who can pay the penalty, pay the price for your rebellion against God. And the good news doesn't stop there. He not only purchased it, but He stamped it permanently. And He defeated sin and death by rising again three days later. That death was not the end of the sentence not of his judgment, and Christian, that means not of yours either. The light of Christ shines today because of the resurrection, because we know that he defeated death. I know this is a dark world. We live in a community and in settings that that maybe they sound just like this. People don't understand Christ. They're against Christ. They're saying ridiculous things about Jesus. And I know you know even worse kinds of situations than this. There's violence against God's church. There are dark things that people do around the world. There are dark things that we face on a regular basis. I want to encourage you, though, that the judgment that was put on Christ at the cross, even itself, that pronouncement is just the beginning of a sentence that has yet to be completed. Because the light that was in the world is coming back. Jesus is going to return and make for us a place where we don't need a a lamp. We don't need a tall torch. We only need Him because He is our light, Revelation 21 and 22 tells us. There's a great uh, movie, a, a play that Beth and I got to go see this last week, about a Christian living in a very, very dark time, uh, Corey Ten Boom, living through the Holocaust. Uh, it's a movie called The Hiding Place. Highly recommend it, based on the book of the same name. But there's a great quote in it, uh, written by the writer, Pete Peterson. And he says this about the cross through the voice of Corey, living in such a dark time, encouraging her sister. She says, on the cross, the lightning crack of justice has already struck we just live in the silence before it's thunderclap. Christian, 
this world can feel really, really, really dark. It's not easy. <laughs> it wasn't easy for Christ, who is the light of the world, who spoke the truth, who perfectly, we see in verse 29, perfectly always did what was pleasing to God. We, we, we share in the same kinds of suffering. We share and walk in the same kinds of difficulty. It's hard. It's so hard. But don't let the darkness make you forget or feel discouraged that the light has been snuffed out. It cannot be. Jesus is the essence itself. Jesus is life itself and love and truth. And all the things that we see of the character and the name of God, I am, are given to us in Christ. There's a great call to worship passage for us this morning, Hebrews 1. He is the image of God. He is the radiance of God's glory to us. When you are discouraged, Christian, look to Jesus Christ. Remember his words. Remember his character. And most of all, remember his cross. Because he died for you and defeated death for you so that you might truly have the light of life, life in his name. If you're here this morning and you are for the first time seeing more clearly what Jesus did for you on the cross and how his testimony of who he says he is and his judgment over sin in this world is true through what he did on the cross and through the gospel, let me encourage you to do what Jesus tells them in verse 24. Believe that Jesus is the I am, the light of the world, the only Savior of the world. Turn from your sin. Put your faith in him this morning. And I promise you, the world, it may not instantly just lose all the darkness your bank account or your health or so I, there's no promises in scripture that's going to say all of that's going to just explode into roses what jesus ju- does tell us though is that the light of god will also shine in our hearts the spirit of god will dwell with us in an even greater sense than that pillar of light was with the jews in that time period god will be with you through faith in Christ. Let me encourage you to put your faith in Him this morning, to walk in the light, to follow the light until that day where He leads us to the place where we need no other flashlight, lamp, light, sun, because He is it. He is truly then to us the light of the world. Let's pray together. Father, we are reminded well this morning that we have no other other hope in this world but you. Um, we, We can feel the darkness. We can see it. We know that Christ is the light, and he has already come into this world and shown himself to be the light and is shining. The light's shining, and we're so, so grateful, God, because we have no other hope but Him. We have no other hope than that You would pay the the penalty for our sins on His cross. What an amazing thing. God, help us who have confessed 
faith and are walking in that faith in you to never grow tired of that. Help us not to be like the Jews in the story who hear that truth and don't respond. Help us to worship. Help us to rejoice in the metaphors of Jesus because we know they're not just metaphors. We know that they are reminders of life itself, spiritual, true, and eternal life in him. Jesus, thank you for always doing what pleased the Father. That's what made your sacrifice effective for us, and we're so thankful for it. Help us, though we walk uh, in this battle, in this in-between, the already not yet, in between the lightning and the thunder, so to speak. Help us to walk and follow the, the light that is you, in your word, with your people. Help us, because we know that we who were without hope in the darkness, needed the light for salvation, we certainly need it for our sanctification. We certainly need it for our walking in you. So, Spirit, ask that you would be with us to comfort, to guide, and to remind us of these things. But God, overall, we just thank you. We want to respond in worship because you truly are the light of the world. So help us to sing and to praise and to walk in the light of life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.